my purpose for Communique and my purpose as an individual is to help the invisible become visible. Welcome to the Brave Bold Brilliant Podcast. I'm here today with Jihan Hyde. Now, Jihan is the CEO and founder of Communique. I have pronounced it correctly. <laughs> uh, nice to see you, Jihan. How are you? I am very well, Jeanette. How are you? Yeah, great. Thank you. And listen, I was reading through your bio and your, your profile. So if you may, let me just read out a couple of these headlines because it's pretty impressive, may I say. So we're in for a treat today. And um, oh. so listen, you have got some incredible achievements under your belt, you know, and, and you're gonna we're gonna hear your story from you as well. But I know that you're very humble. So I want to make sure that we're uh, getting it across just exactly what you've achieved and what you're into. So um so yeah, so so obviously, Communique, B Corp certified, making it the first black Arab female founded organization to be certified, which is amazing. So massive congratulations. That's incredible. Um, and you were, are the recipient of the UK's CEO of the Year Award. Wow. And one of the most influential 40 over 40 communication professionals in the world. And that's according to Campaign Magazine and also LinkedIn top ESG voice in 23. My gosh, is there anything you're not doing? Give me a chance. I will do more. <laughs> I haven't got, I haven't finished yet. Yes, I'm working on it. But thank you, though. Oh, honestly, it's, it's incredible. And of course, you've worked with some really big brands as well on sustainability, ESG, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, B Corp. So, you know, I guess there's a whole piece around, you know, profit, people, purpose, um, you know, LinkedIn with all of that. So absolutely phenomenal career. So it's a pleasure to have you on. It really is, Jihan. Thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. So, Jihan, I've given a couple of the headlines, but do you want to just talk us through your journey, how you've ended up doing all these incredible things so far? Oh, <laughs> I hope you have time for all of this. <laughs> I'll try to make it as uh, interesting as possible. So, uh, so yes, uh, I do. I have founded a company called Communique, and it's uh, two years now since I founded it. Uh, the purpose of Communique is to help organizations start their sustainability journey because the biggest challenge we're facing at the moment is what does sustainability mean? Why should we be caring about it? And what, how do we start the journey as an organization? So Communique offers services such as integrating policies and procedures within your business model to become sustainable. Uh, communicating sustainability in a way that resonates with your audience and for your audience to understand how they can help you get to where you want to be as an organization. But most importantly, training your employees and your audience on why should they care about people, planet and, and profit, you know, especially people, planet, um, and what role do they play in the journey? So, in, in a nutshell, we do business model integration, we do uh, communication, and we do training uh, around ESG, which is an acronym for environmental, social, and governance. And it's basically how organizations report on their sustainability effort. 
So that's about Communique as an organization. Communique's uh, employees, uh, in total right now, we have around 14 freelancers. And with the majority of us, are from underdeveloped countries and underrepresented community. Because my purpose for Communique and my purpose as an individual is to help the invisible become visible. And the reason this purpose is very dear to my heart is because I'm originally from Sudan. I landed in the UK in 2009 with my British husband. But when I landed, I found it extremely difficult to find any roles for me because mm -hmm. I didn't have any UK experience. And even though I had the UN in Geneva under my belt, I had Philip Morris in Egypt under my belt. I had the USAID in Washington under my belt. The UK market did not see me fit to be, to be part of it. Mm -hmm. So I vowed that if the opportunity arises, when it arises, because everything is made for a reason and at the time, you need to take your time, you know, you will know when the time is right. When the opportunity arises, I want to eliminate all of that. I want to help these freelancers who are like me, who are very well uh, established in their career, but they don't know how to penetrate the developed world to utilize Communique's brand to utilize my access to the developed market and then add all these experience for the, in their portfolio and then find jobs. So I'm very, very happy that out of the 14 we had last year, seven of them have found full-time roles in developed countries. So I'm very proud of that part. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. And and in terms of, you know, your purpose, you're you're really clear on, on that, you know, that comes across and speaks volumes. How how does that keep you grounded on a daily basis? You know, is it is it just always there in everything that you do, or do you have to kind of come back to it every now and then if you feel like you're you're kind of you know going off track? How 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 strong is that purpose for you? I mean, I live and breathe it every day. But don't get me wrong, my purpose sometimes put me into trouble because, because I'm not the type of person who can see wrong and just sit there. Yeah. And this is why I'm known to be bold. I'm known to be curious. And I'm definitely known to speak up for individuals who don't know how to speak up for themselves. And this is why numerous organizations such as Money 2020, which is the biggest fintech, financial technology uh, events platform, and B Corp, which is one of the up and coming and the more, and the, uh, I don't even know how to explain how B Corp is growing, the fastest growing uh, sustainability certification and better business certification. They've asked, both of them have now asked me to come in and join their board as an advisor to advise them on making the invisible visible. Yeah, fantastic. And, you know, I mean, I B Corp status, you're right. Actually, a lot of people won't necessarily know what that is or why it's so important. And but it is becoming much more, um, you know, of a real aspiration for businesses because more and more, I think, consumers are choosing who they spend their hard earned money with. They're choosing who they which organizations they maybe work 
for as well, uh, based on some of these really kind of important purpose-led aspects um, around, as you say, you know, planet, well, profit comes to allow to reinvest in 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 uh, doing good, really. Profit for good is, is how I often describe it. And I interviewed a chap called Richie Jones, actually. He's um, working towards B Corp status with his business. Yeah, he was out last week. Called He's, he's a CEO and founder of a company called Vast. And he works with um, big global organizations who want to kind of come into, into Europe. But he works with them from a, from a sort of very much a sustainability point of view as well. And, and Elemis have recently been granted uh, B Corp status as well, which is a big brand that people will know. And they're owned by Lockitan, aren't they? So I think more and more we're starting to become more aware of, of B Corp and how important it is. But but Jihan, can you just maybe talk about that a little bit more for someone that possibly doesn't know too much uh, about what B Corp is all about and how do you get certified? It is quite a difficult process after all, isn't it? Okay, so the beauty about B Corp is that it's one of the very few certifications that you can go through as an organization where it looks at all of your stakeholders and how are you impacting them, including customers, employees, uh, communities, for example, and how are you being governed? It is a lengthy process, but it's lengthy for a reason because it wants to ensure that you are living and breathing sustainability and ESG within your DNA. Once, however, you are certified, the beauty about being certified is that it, it opens a whole world to you with all of your fellow certified organizations. So it makes it easier, for example, for you to partner with other organizations who have your same purpose. It makes it easier to work for clients who are aligned with your ways of working. So this is one of the advantages of being certified. Of course, of course, that stamp of approval is priceless because you are on par with the likes of Ben and Jerry, with the likes of Cook, uh, frozen foods, with the likes of Pucker Herbs, for example, innocent drinks. So even if you are a small organization, you're in the same situation or same level as all of the big players in the market. And this is why we feel very proud to say that we're B Corp certified. You don't need to go to the certification if you don't want to, because there is a way where you can just take the assessment and stop there without applying to be certified. The assessment itself provides you with a checklist that will help you to start the journey. Once you're comfortable and you think that you're on the right track of having a, uh, and becoming a business for good, then you can go and submit your papers and evidence. If you, if you achieve a certain score, you'll be certified. If not, B Corp will come back to you and say to you, you need some more evidence in this area versus this area. So that's the beauty of B Corp. 
Yeah, it's fantastic, and and like you say, because it's it's uh, it's a very rigorous process. It's not easy to get. It really the standards are very high, and therefore to achieve that is a real mark of of what you're all about, and and it puts you up there, like you say, with some of those really powerful brands, and and and, and also even like you say, even if you don't go for B Corp status, it's a great thing to do to to help you, you know, fine tune your processes, make sure that you're you're kind of doing things in the best way possible. So it's a great guiding light, isn't it, for for so many um and and actually you know i think doing the way we do business um we do things for the right reason and and often that the money and the financial results will follow but if we're always chasing the the financials then sometimes we don't we don't do things the right way and actually longer term we're not as strong financially as we could be as if we'd done things in a different way to start off with no, absolutely. Absolutely. And even these organizations who are not paying attention to either ESG or being sustainable, eventually they will need to. Because for you, for example, for an organization to work with, let's say, a listed company as a supplier, you will not be able to work with that company anymore unless you provide evidence that you align with their sustainability goals. So that is that's that's a threat to your income, and from a commercial point of view, it's a it's a risk that mm. you will have to avoid. So from now on, all listed organizations around the world have to report under ESG. All suppliers who work with these organizations have to align to the to their or um, to their commitments. So that's number one. Number two, the customers, as you as you mentioned earlier. In the UK, for example, one in three customers have now said they will not buy your product if it does not clearly state how is it playing its role in in protecting our planet. Mm, mm. When it comes to employees, uh, 75% of global Gen Zers have now said they will not work for you if you do not clearly demonstrate that you are protecting and saving our people on our planet. So whether we like it or not, you will have to take this topic seriously. Yeah, I love it. Fantastic. Change for good. That's what I like. Or that's what you're all about, Jihan. And listen, can we talk a little bit about kind of being a woman in business? Because diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, it's a topic which I'm very passionate about. And, and actually, you know, we do tend to focusing on gender diversity because we're a little bit further down the road in terms of of that as a as a kind of topic but of course diversity of all shapes colors sizes creed is is important as well but you know i i remember earlier in my career i was often the only woman in the boardroom in particular with a profit and loss account and sort of full commercial responsibility now the world has changed we're, we're, we're making great progress of course but there's still more to be done right um and it drives me crazy that of a FTSE 100 companies, only eight have female CEOs, right? And yet when we when we graduate from universities or higher education, it's pretty much 50-50. So there's still stuff going on that needs to be done. Um, and I guess there are things I always think of it as two sides of the coin. There's what what is it that businesses need to do to make sure there's a great pipeline and equal opportunities and, and you know, there's, there's a welcome for everyone of different cultures, backgrounds, et cetera, and gender. 
And um, well, then there's things as individuals we also need to do as women ourselves to, to kind of help help ourselves on the way. So, yeah, just really interested in, in kind of your experience being, you know, such a successful woman in business. You know, have you had situations where it's held you back? Have you had situations where it actually it's allowed you to to move forward in, in maybe a stronger way? Um, or is it pretty neutral for you through through your journey? Uh. <laughs> That's a big question, Jenna. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me personally, I have been held back all the time where, because I'm a female founder. But I have also been advanced forward because I tick the right boxes. So I'm Black, I'm an Arab, I'm a female, and I'm a founder. So I was amazed after the um, after the Me Too movement, uh, you know, erupted. I was shocked by how many people approached me to either be a board member or to come advise them or to join talks purely because of my gender and my color. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't angry about that. I didn't take it personal. I was aware of it, I've acknowledged it, okay, but I also embraced it. And I said to these organizers and these organizations, I said, I know why you're coming to me, okay? There is no point for you denying it, but let's accept the fact that I'm doing this because I want to change you. I want to change the status quo. I want to have an impact on on this issue and this is why I tend to accept and this is why I come in and I change everything over its head so I stopped so ego is not my friend when it comes to changing this landscape um, but the challenges I also face as being a female founder is when it comes to funding yeah and when it comes to access to um, the right network. So I never had a problem accessing the right mentors. I never had the problem accessing the right coaches, coaches. Mm -hmm. but I do have a, a pro I have a challenge accessing funding. And I always, when I go in and I speak to a potential investor even informally in a networking event you could see how they undermine me even though I will be kind of pitching against a male who I am actually more successful than he is but you could see the investors leaning more to the males because mm -hmm. they think female founders in my opinion they I believe investors are thinking we are very emotional, we are governed by our um, duty to the household. So we won't be given this business, giving this business 100%. And that upsets me. Mm. Uh, but am I, am I going to dwell about it? No. Am I going to bitch about it? No. I am just going to try my best to fight it and call it out as it is. One thing I found in the UK specifically is that when you call things out, 
people realize that they've been unconsciously biased against you. Because in the UK, we don't have racism. We don't have the outward racism that other countries face. We have unconscious bias. Mm. So because it's unconscious, when you call it out, you make it conscious. And if it's continued to be conscious, then, then this is where it's really serious. But I found that when I'm calling things out and calling people out, they retract and they become more aware of how they're treating me and how are they dealing with me. Mm. Well, it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant, um, you know, kind of share really and very open and, and, and honest. And that's what I love about these kind of conversations, because you're right, we need to call, call out poor behavior. Um, and sometimes it's not intentional. Sometimes it is intentional, but it's kind of cloaked under <laughs> a facade of something else, right? But you're right. Raising finance um, as a, as a female founder is it is is can be challenging. Can be really challenging. What what do you think needs to change in order to kind of move the dial in that space? Mindset, the mindset of our society, the mindset of what's expected of us as females versus males. And what needs to change is that when we are addressing, so one thing, uh, and I think that's what sets me apart, is that when I am calling this behavior out, I don't call it in an angry manner. Because anger um, results in anger, mm. in depression. I try to let my emotion out of it, and I like to be rational. So when I do call out, I give you reasons why I'm calling you out and I back my reasons either with data or with how I feel, but in a very rational way. So I think for, for us to change as a society, the whole dynamics of the society, the whole mindset of the society needs to change. How it needs to change? That's a very big question. I, I think education is key. Uh, acknowledging that we have a problem is key, key uh, and finding solutions is a key. So we're very good at highlighting a problem, but we're not really good at giving a solution. So if we're asking for men to respect us, how do we want them to do that? What are the steps that they need to go through in order to achieve that? What are the behaviors that we need to change for us to get to where we want to, to get to? Right now, we're governed with anger. And I think that that needs to be shifted slightly, in my opinion. Mm, yeah, and channeled, channeled in the right way. Absolutely. Yes. I agree with you. You know, it's good to be emotional about these important topics because this is about society. And, and also, I mean, this is about unlocking the potential in every single person, right? And that therefore creates financial freedom opportunities it creates you know uh, taking people out of poverty whatever it may be and the global impact and the supply chain and the you know it's like dropping a pebble in a pond you know if you get one female founder that starts a business that employs one person or 10 people or however many then their families are impacted positively and so on and so on it goes right so I think sometimes we we also need to, you know, it's, it's often the baby steps, isn't it? The small things, all those little changes all add up. And I think sometimes we get so hung up on it has to be a big revolution 
Yes. Uh, whereas actually, if every day we were just doing 1%, 1% better, 1% more, you know, more towards a, a more equal and diverse world, well, then that would all add up and we would be in a very different place. I um, absolutely, absolutely agree with you. There is a saying that says 10% of our life is what happened to us and 90% of it is what we do with it. Mm, yeah, hundred percent. And and I think also, you know, the other thing that I see, and I don't know if you if you've experienced this through your career, uh, Jihan, but you know, sometimes I find organisations are almost too scared to even address a topic for fear of getting it wrong and getting shot down because maybe they've used the wrong terminology or they've said something that's you know upset someone. So therefore, they they often retract. And think, well, I'll just keep hidden because otherwise, if I put my head above the parapet, I may get criticised for I'm trying to do the right thing, but maybe I'm not actually articulating it exactly right. And I think we need to change that as a culture and say, listen, let's have an open dialogue. We might not always get the words right, but if the intention is correct, let's work together so that next time you will phrase it in a way that's more acceptable. But don't hide from it because you're scared of of saying or doing the wrong thing all the time. Yeah. I always so that is called green hushing in our oh, green hushing. I've not heard that. Tell you me know that. that green hushing. I've heard of green washing. Not there green. is a whole world. There is purpose washing. There is white washing. There is green hushing. My God, we do like our acronyms when uh, and our our statements when we uh, when we talk in sustainability. So green hushing is the opposite of greenwashing. So for the audience who don't or who haven't heard of greenwashing, greenwashing is when you are claiming that your organization is green or it has an impact on a positive impact on the society. But in reality, you are not telling the truth. This is called greenwashing. Okay. Whereas green hushing is the opposite of that. This is when you're worried about how you'll be perceived by people or by your audience, or you're not really clear on how accurate your sustainability data is. So you choose not to talk about what you're doing, even though you probably as an organization would be doing great work in saving our people on planet, but you just don't have the confidence to speak about it. The majority of our clients are actually coming to us because of this problem and saying, what do we do? We have a lot to communicate, but we're just not sure if we if we're commu- if we should communicate it. So this is where we hold their hands and explain to them with the data. So we're always data focused because the CEOs, the board members and the, and the commercial directors, is, they're all about the money first and foremost. So what we do is we provide them with competitive analysis by showcasing how a brand reputation of a certain company within their industry have completely plummeted because they didn't talk about about their sustainability efforts. On the other hand, how share price have completely increased because they chose to talk about it. So I always say to our clients, I would rather you communicate it and get challenged on it than not communicating it. Because the data is telling us when you're not communicating your sustainability efforts, you're alienating your customers. Mm. But you're also 
alienating your employees and your potential talent who have already told you they won't work for you if you're not clear of what you're doing and how you're doing so. So for me, people who are courageous enough to face greenwashing claims are much more advanced than the ones who are not claiming it. Mm, mm. And and that's obviously where you help a lot of these organizations move forward and really shift the dial, right, Um, from where they are and and where they want to be. Yes, the trick to getting to getting your message across correctly is to test it. If you're worried that your green claims is not accurate, it's not clear, or you're not actually sure what to even say, my advice to our clients has always been tested. Ask your customers, what do they want to hear from you? Ask your employees if this message resonates with them or not. Test it. Because if you don't test, you do not know if you're on the right track or not. So testing Mm. is key. Yeah, brilliant. Test, learn, tweak, rinse, repeat, try again, and and just eventually you'll you'll get the right formula. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Think of it as a product. When you Mm. launch a product, you MVP it. So you test, you retweak it, you then test again. So honestly, my biggest, my most valuable advice I always say to my clients, treat the campaign as a product that you're testing. Tweak it as you go along. You do not have to perfect it when you launch, but tweak it as you go along. Yeah, no, that's really good advice. And I think sometimes we're so worried we want perfection, don't we? And it, and actually perfection doesn't exist anyway. It's a complete fallacy. <laughs> that's the thing. Nothing is perfect. And especially in sustainability, Jeanette, because we don't have the infrastructure to help us to calculate our impact accurately. So if if you talk to the layman person in the street about carbon, it will mean nothing to them because they can't feel it. They can't smell it. They can't see it. Mm. But if you tell them, for example, their actions is going to result in their community collapsing or being drowned or drowning, then they will relate to that. They mm. will understand what you they need to do because as human beings, we are not geared to protect ourselves from a threat that we can't see. And these are why this is why communication campaigns that aims to showcase Jihan in Sudan who's dying from hunger, I don't think they're effective because if you're in the UK, you can really relate to what Jihan is feeling. You might empathize with Jihan. You might give Jihan some donation, but then that's it. It will be a, a single act and it will be finished. But are we are geared towards protecting what we love the most in front of us. And this is why communication campaigns have to be human. It has to be relatable because ESG and sustainability mean different things mean different uh differently to different people so if you talk to someone in the middle east where i'm from sustainability means women empowerment 
Whereas if you talk to someone in the US, sustainability means recycling. People in the UK, sustainability means climate change. Mm. So this is why we have to be very careful when we are communicating sustainability, we need to understand what does it actually mean and we need to understand how does it resonate with our audience. Mm, yeah, fantastic. And I interviewed actually, I think you might know her, Fiona Jeffrey, OBE. She's the founder of a charity called Just a Drop. Um, and we she was, I was lucky enough, it was World Water Day um a couple of weeks ago, which you'll probably be very familiar with. And so I interviewed Fiona. We've known each other for many years through the travel industry, and she's an incredible human being, she really is. But, you know, the stark reality and some of the stats that we went through together was that, you know, someone dies, a child dies every two minutes. Every two minutes somewhere in the world, a child dies because of either lack of water or dirty water. And I mean, it's shocking. Right. So in the time that we will spend recording this this episode, 30 children will have died, which is just like shocking, absolutely shocking in this day and age. And, you know, so so obviously water and sustainability and climate change, it's it reaches so many different levels, doesn't it? And you're right. How do you relate that to someone who's in a very privileged position in the Western world, which is developed, where we turn on the tap and we don't even think about that? We don't have to walk five miles, 10 miles to the well to get dirty water to, you know, to feed our kids. It's a, just a totally different way. And, and she was saying, trying to make that stand out and be real for people is, is the biggest issue as well, as you were saying. So it's, it's quite hard to make it. Yeah. It's very, very difficult. It's very difficult to bring what you're trying to bring to life without relating it to the individual audience. The only way, if you want people to understand what these children and these communities are going through is to close the water supply in the UK for four hours, just four hours. And then you'll see the real understanding. They mm. have to live it for them to relate to it, for them to change their behavior. Mm. Because just showing images, just telling a story about someone who's live, who's dying every two minutes is not going to be enough. As humans, we're also not geared to retain negative uh, information for long. As a survival mechanism, we are geared to forget and to shut it down. Uh, and even in, if you if you look at, uh, so in Arabic, a human being means insan. Insan literally translates into the forgetful. So uh, next time you're seeing a, ch a shocking information or a shocking ad, I want you to remember how long are you going to retain it? You're going to remember it, but you're not going to think about it much. Mm. You will be recalling it every now and then and say, oh, yeah, I've seen this horrible ad the other day. But then you're going to move on so quickly. Mm. Your behavior is not going to change. Your mindset is not going to change. But you're just geared to switch off. 
Yeah, no, it's a really, really uh, real challenging, challenging aspect of all of this, isn't it, really? And, you know, when you think about the, you know, businesses that are out there doing great things in, in sustainability and in everything that, you know, the world that you live and breathe, are there any standout organisations at the moment that are sort of really shaking things up, being quite disruptive with their approach to sustainability? Any kind of, um, you know, heroes out there? I know lots of organisations are doing good things, but any standout brands for you at the moment? To this, to this date, there is not a single organization who's getting sustainability and people on planet white. They're getting aspect of it, small aspect of it, but there is still huge gaps to it. Mm-hmm. The ones that stand out, but they're still not without flaws, would be the likes of Patagonia, um, will be the likes of... Um, Patagonia will be the number one for me at the moment but there isn't there is I mean there are the smaller ones to be honest the most impactful ones are the smaller ones not the big ones you know um, so for example the likes of Pucker Herbs uh, the likes of um, oh gosh I forgot now but yeah for me the standouts will be Patagonia from a large organization point of view, from a small organization would be PACA. Yeah. I mean, the- Paca, sorry to interrupt you. Even now, PACA has been acquired by Coke. Okay. Yeah. No, Unilever. It's been acquired by Unilever. By Unilever, who are also doing great, but not without flaws. Mm. Well, the fact you have to think about it so hard shows how much work there still is to do, clearly. And uh, you're, 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 you're not going to be out of the job for a while. Let's put it that way, Gian. For the sake of our employees, I hope so, yes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But listen, let me talk a little bit about how you keep yourself in good shape, right? Because you're dealing with, you know, Big goals, big ambition, really important stuff. You're working with some large organizations, smaller organizations. You know, you've got the pressure of being a founder, raising finance. It's not easy, this stuff at all. Um, So how do you sort of keep yourself in good, you know, mental shape, if you like, so that you can be the best version of yourself? What are some of your coping mechanisms? I don't. I'm going to be very honest with you. That's one of the challenges I'm I'm facing at the moment is balancing work and life. That is one of the challenges I'm facing and it's affecting my health. Mm. It's affecting my productivity. But the one thing I am good at is that when I'm acknowledging the fact that I'm not being productive, I just, I... Don't think much about the lack of productivity. I don't wonder why am I not productive. I don't obsess over it. I just breathe. I acknowledge the fact that this is my brain telling me that I'm tired and I just walk out. So today is is the perfect example. I have all the right elements for me um, on paper. My children are not here my fam, my husband is not here. Uh, the dog is not even here. The whole I have my whole the house for my whole self all day. So it's the perfect environment for me to be productive. Have I finished a single task? 
No. Have I have, do I have seven tests open in front of me right now and didn't finish it? Yes. Am I angry? Don't know. I'm disappointed that I'm not taking this advantage, but I had to physically get out of the, the, the desk and just say, you know what, Jihan, you're tired today. Mm. Just finish what you need to finish and go and watch TV for a bit. And then let's see how it goes after that. Yeah, no, I mean, listen, this is great to, to not great that you feel like that, but it's great to recognize it because sometimes we're just not on our game, are we? We're just not feeling it for whatever reason. And sometimes we can't always figure out why. And, and you're right, it's much better. Don't beat ourselves up. We're all human beings at the end of the day. You know, we have good days, we have bad days, we have other days when we're on fire. And I think being aware of our energy and when, when we're in, in our peak kind of state and when we're not. And if we're not, don't force it. You know, better... Yeah take a break, come back to it, you know, tomorrow's another day. Has anyone died through this process of you not completing X, Y, Z? If the answer is no, then actually anything else is good, right? <laughs> so absolutely. And I think I know why I'm in that state, as in not yet balancing work with life. It's because I'm still building the company, Janet. Yeah. I'm still at the early stages of it. Once I, Once the foundation is there... I am going to be very harsh on, and very strict, not harsh, strict on dividing work and life and not mixing them together. I'm just not there yet. And mm -hmm. at least I'm aware of that. And I have said that openly to uh, my support system. And I said that to them because they were worried. They are worried about me. And they said, Jan, you can't keep doing this. You need to stop. And I said, I will, I promise you I will, because I acknowledge that this is not healthy. Just give me another year and I will. So at least I have a goal on when I want to stop that and live healthy. I am healthy, don't get me wrong. I still mm. walk for two hours a day, you know, and I exercise, but I'm just would love to have an opportunity to have a conversation with someone and not, Think about work, if that makes sense. Oh, God, completely. I, I mean, listen, I, I'm, I'm terrible as well. Because I, I, if you love it, if you're really passionate about what you do, you love business, you love people, you're ambitious, you want to do the best, be the best version for yourself and for your clients and your family, you know, you're naturally going to be impatient. You're naturally going to push yourself and, and, and all of that. And that's good because that's how you get things moving and get things done. The flip side is that sometimes your body goes, right, enough now. This is too much. Right? I, you know, really, come on. <laughs> and, and, and it's knowing when, isn't it? When to just kind of go, right, come on, cut myself a, a break here because it's not sustainable. And uh, to your, you know, for your, your one of your key areas, you've got to look after, you've got to put your own oxygen mask on first but this elusive balance I'm not sure it exists anyway I think there are times when you're like you're full on you're 100% over here and maybe nothing over here and then other times it might be the other way around and and that's okay as long as over a period of time and overall we're, we're kind of getting fulfillment and joy um from what we're doing and we're not doing it in a way that's damaging to our own health and but it's hard I agree with it I find it really difficult I work long hours I, Chris is always, my other half is always saying to me, bloody hell, Jeanette, you know, come on, enough's enough. Put the phone down. <laughs> yeah, 
Chris and my husband need to meet. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll, I'll go to the toilet can... and look at my email. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you said, you... oh gosh, oh gosh, I'm so embarrassed to admit that as well. <laughs> actually, take the toilet. That's, that's the quietest moment I have. <laughs> <laughs> the best ideas come from. <laughs> Exactly. So listen, I think we're just going to cut ourselves some slack, give ourselves give ourselves a break and let's stop the self-flagellation, right? Because we're doing great. And and it's hard when you're founding a business, you're, you're scaling a business. Yeah, it's difficult. If it was easy, every, everyone would bloody do it, wouldn't they? And they don't. Exactly. I mean, I mean, setting up a business is almost like planting a tree. You have to do the work to plant it, but you also have to do the work to see it growing and, and harvest the, you know, the harvest. So, so until the harvest is being harvested, <laughs> I don't think I can stop. But <laughs> I, I do what one thing I do do though is that I make a point that weekends I am fully with the family. I Good. make that point. The only time that I go back to work is when the family sleep. <laughs> you know, when they're asleep. This is where I sneak out and I do work. But it's purely not because I I don't value my time out. It's because I want to. Mm. There's things that I have to do. And because our business model as well rotates around uh, associates, I have to do, the, the foundation has to come from me. Mm. And for me, if I don't have the foundation in place, I won't be able to retire in 10 years. And I plan to retire in 10 years, Jeanette. So, you know, uh, so yeah, so I'm just working hard now, but I plan to take it a step back once I find and get the foundations right. Yeah, and it's important. It's important to know, you know, what 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 is the what is the journey? What is the roadmap? You know, what are you aiming for? What's it all for? You know, yeah. both in terms of the impact you want to leave in terms of the planet and legacy and all of that great stuff, but also for your life, you know, and family time together and. Yeah, it's important to visualize, I think, that future um, and why you're doing it. Because when it gets tough, sometimes you've got to remind yourself why you're doing it, right? Yeah, yeah. And one thing as well with startups, the majority of startups, they're always on a growth mindset. They just want to sell, sell, sell at the beginning. But for me, it's also about the governance. How? What are the processes? So I'm being a typical female founder where I have to think methodically rather than a male founder who'll just go out and sell and not think of the consequences but for me I have to get their governance right before I before I while I'm selling don't get me wrong I'm still selling but I still need the foundation yeah well if your governance isn't right how can you go and advise a client about their governance <laughs> exactly exactly yeah yeah, but hey, we're not without flaws as well. So I'm sure whoever comes in and see, I would, yeah, uh, that's why we have, uh, we're about to appoint now uh, a, a board to uh, to come and hold us accountable. Mm. Hold me accountable, actually. So hold me accountable. And then that would be the cherry on the cake. Once the board is appointed, which by the way, it's very difficult to appoint a board. I didn't realize how difficult it was. No one taught me these things, you know. So I had to go and take a whole course on how to how to assign and get a board on board. Yeah. <laughs> 
there's a lot of upskilling. That's the beauty of being a founder. You have you get you you get exposed to so many things, and this is one of the advices. I, so I mentor um, several founders as well, and specifically female founders. Um, and I always say to them, you have to upskill yourself, but do not perfect it. You don't need to be the expert in finance. You don't need to be the expert in sales. You know, you just need to understand it. Mm. And then get the right people in to help you. But also you need to identify your weaknesses way ahead. In addition to identifying your strength, because you can't be perfect in everything. So, yes, mm. this is uh, this is something I've learned through the years. That's great advice. Absolutely great advice. And talking about advice, Jihan, so can you think of the best piece of advice that you've been given over the years? Uh, gosh, I've been given a lot of advices, to be fair. Whether or not I listen to them, that's a different question. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, yeah. <laughs> I don't listen to any advices. I like to, but genuinely, I think, but this is my character. I, I appreciate the advice. But sometimes I like to make the mistakes to learn from it as mm. opposed to someone who's already done it and then they come and advise me. Because I will always say to you, for example, so if you advise me, I would respect it and I will uh, accept it. But will I implement it? I don't know. Um, this is why one of my traits is I'm a risk taker. I take risk like, right, you know, left, right and center. But I think the best advice I had and I'm still keeping is not to regret what mistakes I've done and just move forward and don't dwell on the mistakes. That was the best advice. Um, I remember very clearly was my mentor, my first mentor when I founded Communique. And he said to me, you're going to make mistakes if these mistakes might be costly, do how do whatever you do to cope with sadness, but then get up again and learn mm. from these mistakes and move on. And that's what I have been doing. Yeah, that's great advice. You're right, you know, and, and actually failure is learning. That's where we where we grow. And and actually you're right, you know, sometimes some people are so scared of judgment, failure, whatever, you know, that they never even start. And that what a great shame. We've only got one life, haven't we? So we want to, you know, if you've got a dream and you want to make something happen, give it a bloody go. And if it doesn't work out, well, you're gonna learn something and you'll do better next time. So hey ho. <laughs> and I, I'm also a believer that Everything is written for us. Our fate, our fate is written. So there is no point of us not living our lives because we're scared. You know, if somewhere, if you're a believer, for example, um, if something is meant to be, it will be. It will be. You, it might take a while for it to happen, but it will be. You know, um, one uh, other advice, actually, I was given is never change who I am and it was a very good advice but sometimes I feel like I have to change depending on on the situation I'm in so I'm known among my peers to be the I'm not a joker but I like I'm a cynic so I like to crack jokes in meetings I, I, I'm I take things easy 
You know, I don't complicate things. But sometimes that's being taken against me. People think because I laugh, I smile a lot, I joke a lot that I'm actually not a not good with numbers, for example, or that I am uh, I'm not smart enough. So sometimes I actually have to hold myself from cracking a joke because I know I'll be undermined at that time. Do I care? Maybe not. But I'm just at that moment of moment of time, there probably is an agenda that I want to achieve. So mm. I will achieve it. And then I go back to my old self. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you're right. At, at the core, you've got to, you know, be your authentic self, true to your values and all of that. But depending on the situation, yes, you're going to adapt, aren't you, to to be to to be able to appeal in the right way to the audience and to also have an empathy for someone that likes to see things in a certain way. Then, you know, we need to mirror that sometimes a little bit. But fundamentally in here, you know, you're not totally kind of being a different person and being disingenuous. It's just a, a, a tweaking around the edges, maybe sometimes. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. As long as you're true to yourself and as long as you respect yourself and you love yourself for who you are, I'm I'm OK with that. Yeah, fantastic. So, Jihan, given that you you listen to advice and sometimes you'll take it, sometimes you'll maybe not take it. What happens with bad advice? Have you ever had any bad advice that you've, or maybe you've just ignored it, or maybe you've taken it and thought, oh my God, I really haven't, wish I hadn't done that. Uh, it's, it wasn't a bad, a, mm, have I had a bad advice? I don't know, to be honest. Um, I had... The, the Okay, so one of the worst advices that I've had is that don't do the B Corp now. You're too small. Mm. And someone was really, he, they really insisted. And bless them, they were very insistent. And they said, no, don't do it now. You're too small. You have nothing to show for it. You're only, how long were we at that time? We were, I think, six months in. You're nobody, you know. And I said, you know what? I'm going to prove you wrong. And I'm going, I would thank you for the advice. Thank you so much. But yeah, not taking it. So bugger off. Uh, so yeah, so I just, I just went and did it. And I'm happy I did it because if I didn't do it, I wouldn't have known that one in three B Corp certified founders are from ethnic minority or even a female ethnic minority. So it was me going through the process and achieving it that made me realize there is a problem and need solution and I need to call it out and I need to help get to the mm -hmm. solution. So I'm happy I did. I didn't listen to the advice, <laughs> which is very often that I don't listen. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe you listen, digest, and then, you know, you make your own decision. And that's the whole point, isn't it? You know, about advice. Sometimes you can take it, sometimes you choose not to. And that's cool, you know. Um, but you've got, to, you've got to stand and fall by your own choices in life, haven't you? You know? Yes. Yes. And the, oh, oh, can I, can I say another advice? That yeah, I was go asking? for it, of course, please. Um, One of the challenges I had before founding Communique is that employers wanted to put me in a box. So uh, my background is marketing. 
And because of my curious nature, I decided, okay, so I've worked in marketing for five years at that time. I'm actually bored. So I am going to requalify to be a PR practitioner. And then I worked in PR and then I did not enjoy it that much. So I decided to requalify again, qualify again as an internal communicator. And then again, I got bored and then I became, I qualified uh, in sustainability and ESG integration, business model integration. So what happened was whenever I was applying for roles, the recruiters and the employers openly stated, Jihan, you have so many roles that you filled and every one of them is so different than the other. We don't know where to place you. Mm. And for me, that was small minded. And I said, and, and one of the advices that I was, was I received there was like, go back, get a junior job in one of these discipline and build your career on based on one discipline. And I challenged that. I said, you are very small minded if you think I am not an asset. If anything, I'll probably be one of the very few communication professionals who thinks like a businesswoman who uh, who communicates like a communicator Okay, and who understands what the audience wants because I have business, I have uh, behavioral science under my belt. So how does that not resonate with you? So yeah, so that was also a bad advice is to is to put myself into a single career and just stick to that career. Hence, yeah. I was very angry. And hence, I started Communique. It was anger that resulted in me creating Communique. Mm. And actually, you know, all those skills are, are the skills that a good entrepreneur needs. Yeah. You know, if you're going to run a business and found a business, like you say, you've got to be able to do a little bit of everything, enough knowledge and, and hire really smart people around you. And, and actually, you know, all of that background that you've had has probably led you to exactly where you're meant to be, which is here today doing this. Very true. Um, yeah, yeah, fantastic. And, you know, the podcast, uh, Jihan, is called Brave, Bold, Brilliant, as you know. When you think of that, what does it mean to you? Um, brave, bold, and brilliant. Uh, the brave and the bold means to me to means that be true yourself, accept yourself as who you are, speak up when you see something wrong. The brilliant part means find the solution to the problem that you are shouting about. That's how you prove that you are brilliant. Don't just come up with the problem or call out the problem, get the solution in place as well. And that what makes you brave, bold and brilliant. What a fabulous answer. I love it. What the perfect way to, to end the podcast. And, and Jihan, where can people find you that might be interested in kind of, you know, working with you and engaging your services, maybe joining your organization? Where can they track you down? So I am very heavily active on LinkedIn under Jihan Hyde. Or if you would like to know more about our services, uh, our website is community.global. 
Perfect. I love it. See, global impact. You are making waves, that is for sure, Jihan. And thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to have you on. I've really enjoyed our conversation. And I look with great interest whether in a year's time that you're still working the hours and doing everything you're doing and where you'll be in 10 years' time. So we'll need to do a follow-up, won't we? We should. We should. I'll probably have more white hair, but we. But I'll, try, I'll try to go to the hairdresser before I come in to hide it. <laughs> I'll have more wrinkles as well, so we'll be in good exactly. company together. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, thank you so much. It has been really, honestly, a real pleasure chatting. Thank you for having me. I really hope you've enjoyed Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends. And if you've enjoyed listening, I'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review. Mm-hmm.